0: Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Great to see everybody today. I want to start a series of messages today on the blood of Jesus. I want to start this series in Romans 3 and verse 25. And it says, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Some translations don't use the word propitiation. In fact, if you're a Christian, uh, you will hear that word a few times in church. But if you're not a Christian, you could live your whole life and never hear the word propitiation. It's not like you go to Myers and say, where's the propitiation aisle? Because they don't have any propitiation at Myers, right? So some translations say a sacrifice through faith in his blood. That's easier for us to understand. So he becomes your sacrifice through faith in his blood. Another translation says mercy seat through faith in his blood. And and literally God's throne is the mercy seat. And and we'll talk about that sometime uh, in the following messages that we do here. But faith is largely dependent on knowledge. So you can't have faith in something that you do not understand. So Andrew Murphy said this, he said, the greatest benefits of salvation cannot be received without sufficient faith in the blood. In other words, if you don't have faith in the blood, you don't know what the blood did. You cannot have faith to receive the best of salvation that God has for you. And I say that to say this. I want to encourage you. Today, we're just going to kind of lay down a foundation, but I want to encourage you: do not miss. Don't miss. Uh, this is this is going to. How, how can I say this? Some of you is going to change your life, but some of you, this is going to make a difference in your eternity, because you're going to find out things about the blood of Jesus that are going to affect not just your life now, but all of eternity. Now, Leviticus 17 and verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you upon an altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes an atonement for your soul. So all through the Bible, the Old Testament, and coming into the New Testament, when someone sinned, they took a sacrifice. They went to Moses' tabernacle or Solomon's or Herod's or whichever one it was, and they would... Offer a sacrifice for their sin. And they would bring that animal and they would put their hands on the animal, symbolizing that they're transferring their guilt to the animal. And then the animal is sacrificed. But now here's the interesting thing to me the priest did not talk to you about your sin. He didn't say, What did you do? How many times have you done it? How long has it been? Are you really sorry? I mean, that's not what he did. What he did was he inspected the animal. And if your sacrifice was good, you were accepted. You weren't accepted based on your behavior. You were accepted based on your sacrifice. Now, the Bible tells us that our sacrifice, our Passover lamb, Jesus, has been sacrificed for us. So we need to put our faith in what he did in his blood to atone for our souls and so very, very much more. Revelation 12, verse 11 says, and they, that's you, overcome him, that's the devil, and his group and everything they bring by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. So your testimony, by the way, needs to be with the blood of Jesus purchased for you. And if you don't know, your testimony is not going to be right. You've got to have the right testimony to overcome. In fact, there is no such thing as overcoming victory without faith in the blood of Jesus. In any area, it comes through faith in the blood. Now, theologians call this the scarlet line. But literally all the way from Genesis through the book of Revelation, the last part of the Bible, there is a scarlet line or a bloodline that runs. Immediately when Adam and Eve sinned, Bible says that God first, he, he, he spoke and he said, the seed of the woman is going to come, speaking of Jesus, and he is going to crush your head. And literally it's an, an ancient Eastern term, that means he's going to strip you of your authority. He's going to take you down. And then God killed animals, the Bible says, and took the skins and gave them to Adam and Eve as clothing. Now, when God killed those animals, blood was shed. And by the way, the Bible does not tell us what animals God killed, but I think we do know. He killed a lamb or lambs. Because Jesus is as a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. That was the first type of Jesus. Not very long later, Abel comes and brings a sacrifice. And the Bible says that God accepted his sacrifice and accepted him. His sacrifice was a young lamb. Then as time passes, Noah goes and is in the ark. He comes out of the ark. And as soon as they get out of the ark, he builds an altar and he's sacrificing again. Blood is shed. And then finally, not very long later, well, after a few, quite a few years, but Abraham shows up. Now, by the way, Abraham shows up in Genesis chapter 12. Now, a lot of people try to tell us the Old Testament is not important. Let me just tell you, it is extremely important. You and I will not understand what is going on today in God's plan for the end times if we do not understand the book of Genesis. We, we have got to grasp what happened in the beginning. So we're going to go to Genesis chapter 12 where God begins calling Abraham. And at this time his name is Abram. And the Lord said to Abram, Genesis 12:1, get out of your country from your family, from your father's house to a land. I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. Now in the Hebrew the word there is 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 more than what we would call great. It's superior and above all others. When Jesus comes back his feet are going to hit the top of the Mount of Olives. The Bible says he's going to rule and reign from Jerusalem and the law will go forth from Jerusalem. When Jesus returns all the land that God promised to Abraham is going to go to Israel. Every bit of it. And uh, right now they've got maybe 20%, 20 20%, not 20%, more like not even 10% of the land that God has promised them. And Israel, not the United States or Germany or Russia or China or Japan, will be the premier nation on the face of the earth. He'll make him a great nation. He said, I will bless you. Now, I want you to notice that twice God says you're going to be a blessing. How many of you are blessed? But just like Abraham, we're blessed to be a blessing. He said, I'll make your name great. It was uh, right around the year 2000 when Newsweek, Time Magazine, and another major magazine all had Abraham's picture on the cover of the same week. Now, listen, when you have been dead for 4,000 years and everybody puts your picture on the cover of their magazine, it's because you're great. You're just great. There's no doubt about it. In fact, Christianity, Judaism, even Islam, all look back to Abraham as the father of their faith. He goes on and he says, now now listen, listen real careful because this is God's foreign policy. It has been for 4,000 years. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. So, you don't let I me mean, you do not want to be anti-Semitic. Because God says, those that bless you and your seed, I'm going to bless. And those that curse you and your seed, He said, I will curse. And many of us were brought up with, with kind of a, a little bit of a nuance towards, you know, don't trust anybody who's Jewish. Listen, you you love them and you bless them. You love them and you bless them. You stand with Israel. You say, why? Because God stands with Israel. That's why. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, it is literally a prophetic statement about Jesus coming, about the Messiah. So God makes these promises to him and says, I'm going to give you this land. And in Genesis 15, in verse 8, he's speaking to the Lord. Abraham is and he says, well, how am I going to know that I'm going to inherit it? I mean, I'm 90 years old and you said, my wife, Sarah, and I are going to have a baby. And uh, God, I know you live a long ways away and maybe you don't get it, but uh, this this doesn't work out very well, you know, at our age. So God says to him, verse nine, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought them to them, cut them in two, divided them in the middle, placed the pieces opposite each other, but he didn't cut the birds. Now, when you hear about all these animals, you know, you're you're like barbecue. (laughs) But Abraham did not think barbecue. When Abraham heard this, he heard covenant. We're gonna make a covenant. Now, covenant in Western culture Is is not understood very well at all. Most people only enter into one covenant in their entire life, and that's marriage. Marriage is a covenant. When Jeannie and I got married, it's interesting. One of the things that happened was her name changed. And by the way, God changes Abram's name from Abram to Abraham. Now, when Jeannie got and I got married, her name changed, but suddenly. Everything that was mine was hers, and everything that was hers was mine. <laughs> she, the next day, she could go to the bank and with, with just one little scribble, put her name down and get everything that was in the account, right? Because it's all hers. Now, that's part of covenant. When you enter into covenant, what you have belongs to them and what they have belongs to you. So Abraham realizes God is going to make covenant with me. Now, they would cut the animals in half. And you'll notice there's the heifer and and there's the, the female goat. And then what would happen is they would, the two people that are making the covenant, they walk together and make circle eights around these sacrifices. Now you realize animals have just been cut in half and what's all over the ground? There's blood all over the ground. And when they're walking, there's just blood all over their feet. And they're making promises to each other. Says, I'm gonna do this. And I'm gonna do this. And I'm gonna do this. And the other one says, I'm gonna do this. And I'm gonna do this. And I'm gonna do this. And And they make promises as they're walking through. They make this covenant with each other. So, <laughs> as Abraham is about to make covenant with God, uh, imagine that you just want to sweepstakes. And somebody's coming by your house at 6 p.m. to drop you off a check for $500 million. How many of you would fall asleep? Nobody. What's gonna happen right here with Abraham and God is a whole lot bigger. And when the sun's going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. He goes to sleep. He's about to make covenant with God and he goes to sleep. And God said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and they'll serve them and will afflict them for 400 years. And he says, and then he said, I'm going to bring them out. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold, there appeared a smoking furnace or oven and a burning torch. And they're passing between the pieces, Abraham's sleeping, but there's two entities that are making circle eights in these pieces. And they're talking to each other. Now the Bible tells us in the New Testament who it was. In Galatians 3, it says, Now to Abram Ham and his seed were the promises made. It does not say, and to seeds multiple, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. So God, the father and Jesus walk through the pieces and Jesus and God, the father are making promises to each other. Now, how many, you know, whatever they said, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Now here's the Here's, here's what, what, what I think is, is, is like the best of all of this. And on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. The promise is to Abraham and his seed, who is Jesus. So Jesus walks through the pieces representing himself and Abraham. It says this in Galatians, that if you be Christ, I mean, belong to Jesus. He's the seed. Then are you Abraham's seed? and heirs according to the promise so you and I get in on the covenant that was made when Jesus and the Father walked between the pieces in blood and make promises to each other yeah and and just this is just kind of a, a little extra and to your descendants, I have given this land, from the river of Egypt to the great River, the River Euphrates and the land of the, the Kenites and the, all these other ites and Pepsilites and all these people. Now, when God says this, he says, "I give you this land." Now, Abraham is standing in Hebron, part of Judea, that uh, today is typically referred to in the news as the West Bank or the occupied territory. It it is the place that more than anybody else, the United States forced Israel to give up. But yet God said this land, all of it, but especially, how many know it includes right where he's standing? So, So we don't know when. It may be when Jesus comes back. It might be before. But that land, God says, belongs to Israel by covenant, by promise, and by blood. It belongs to them. There's no other piece of property on the planet that God gave by covenant. So Abraham is in covenant with God. And everything that's God's is Abraham's. And everything that's Abraham's is God's. He has a child. That boy begins to grow. And God said to him, Genesis 22, Now take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. He split the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. Now, every time we go to Israel, we get up on Mount Scopus. We've got a picture right here. Right across the way, you, you'll see Jerusalem, by the way, which is Mount Moriah. This is where God told Abraham to go. You, you recognize that that gold dome. Very often when there's a picture of Jerusalem, the gold dome is there. That's on the Temple Mount, about 35 maybe 40 acres of land, the most disputed piece of property on planet earth. Now, if you were to go inside that dome, you will find the spot where Abraham was going to offer his son, Isaac. It's right under that dome. And that's what they'll tell you. This is the spot. They'll show you the, this, this is the spot right here. Now, If we could make that wall that's in between us and that dome disappear, we would stand right in front of that, that dome of the rock and we'd look to the east. You'd see Mount Scopus, but just right off to the side, you'd see another mountain. It's called Calvary or Uh, Golgotha. It can't be a half a mile from one spot to the other. So this is the place where Abraham brings his son up on that mountain. He tells the young men, he said, the the, the young man and I, we're going to go worship. He said, and we will come back to you. Now, he knows that he's supposed to offer his son. The New Testament tells us he believed that God was going to raise Isaac from the dead. That's what he believed was going to happen up on that mountain. So Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son. He took the fire in his hand and the knife and the two went up. And his son says, uh, you know, we've got the wood, we've got the fire, where's the sacrifice? He said, Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And Abraham takes his son and he puts him on the altar and he lifts that knife and he's just about to kill his son. And the angel of the Lord called to Abram from heaven and said, Abram, Abram. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad, or do anything to him. For I know now you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by the horns and he sacrifices that animal. Now here's what's happening. Abraham's in covenant with God. So whatever God is going to do, Abraham has to be willing to do. And God is going to give his son on that mountain. As a sacrifice. So Abraham has to be willing to give his son as a sacrifice. And many Bible scholars believe that actually that day that Abraham had a vision. Because that that wall would not have been there. And he would have seen over on Golgotha. And he would have seen like three crosses over there. Because the Bible says, Jesus said this. He said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. Abraham saw my day. Abraham saw thousands of years before Jesus ever went to the cross, what was going to happen. And Abraham called that place. The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day in the Mount of the Lord, it, the sacrifice will be provided. You know, we say Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide, and that's all good, and that is true. But it is actually talking about God providing a sacrifice for sin on that very mountain. That's what it's talking about. And when he did that, the angel of the Lord said, oh, how, I love this. It's a 17th verse. Oh, how I will bless you. Oh, how I will bless you. And God talks about how the blessing is going to come. But if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise or the blessing. Notice that Abraham took his son and brought him in on a donkey. God did the same thing on Palm Sunday. Jesus came in riding on a donkey. Abraham put the wood on his son's back. And Jesus took that cross on his back. Abraham bound his son. Jesus had those Roman soldiers put the nails in his hands and in his feet. He was ready to kill his son and pierce his son. And At that cross, Jesus was pierced. There there are just so many types as you look. And again, in the Old Testament, the sacrifice had to be accepted and you were forgiven and you were accepted. And fortunately for us, Jesus was as a lamb without spot or blemish. He was accepted. And because of it, you and I are accepted. In uh, Exodus chapter 12, we find the children of Israel in Egypt. They've been slaves for 400 years. Nine plagues have taken place and the last plague is about to take place. Moses gets instructions from God and God said on the 10th day of the month, every family take a lamb into your house and keep that lamb until the 14th day. He said, and I want you to prepare a meal that you're going to eat. He said, you're going to eat that lamb. He says, you're going to eat unleavened bread as you go. And he says, and partake of all that lamb. He says, don't let any of it be left over. But as the sun sets on the 14th day, God said, take the lamb outside and slice its throat. It had to die that way. And the blood had to be caught in a basin. And they stood in front of their house with a plant called hyssop. And they would strike the right and the left side of their house. And they would strike with blood above the top of their their door. And God said, wherever I see the blood... He said, I will not allow the destroying angel to come in and do any harm. That was the Passover. That was the Passover. Now, the Bible tells us that we need to apply the blood as well. The lamb died, but that wasn't everything that needed to happen. The blood needed to be applied. They applied it with hyssop, but you and I apply the blood with our tongue. I want the ushers to come forward, if they would. If you have not received the symbols or the elements today, would you just lift your hand? We're going to be receiving communion together. Thank you for watching and being a part of our online family. Subscribe to our channel for access to all of our videos and live services. You can also be notified when a new service becomes available if you ring the notification bell. We cannot do this without you. You can support this ministry and help us reach more people with the Word by giving at reslife.org give. Thanks again for watching. Be blessed.